All right, church, if we make our way back to our seats for the preaching of God's word. Alex was saying one of the highlights of his week is when we meet to pray. And also, I would agree with that. And also one of my highlights is when we come together uh, for the preaching of God's word. So church, let's stand. We're in uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll be um, reading 6 and 7, verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, reading verses 6 and and seven. Church, this is God's word to us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Church, this is God's word. You may be seated. Amen to that. All right, if you haven't noticed, my voice is going. I told my wife, Kim, um, right as the start of the service, come one o'clock today, I will have no voice. I'm going to preach it out this morning with joy. Let's, let's pray. Father, I just want to also add my... Uh, gratefulness for <clears throat> this day and for just the preaching of your word. Lord, what we just heard a moment ago, I don't know. Lord, does it, does it just pass by us? Do we, do, did we, do we absorb the, the glory of that moment for unto us, us, a child is born? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the zeal of the Lord will do this. Lord God, all of your creation should throw themselves at your feet at the hearing of those words. Sadly, Lord, so many in, in your created world, Lord, would rather mock you, rebel against you, reject you. Lord, I pray that every heart gathered here this morning, their posture would be to worship you for you are infinitely worthy of said worship. Lord God, bless the preaching of your word this morning. Lord, I do pray, sustain my voice. Lord, I want to herald the good news. A Savior has come. 
To your name be praised. Amen. To those of you who are new to Trinity this morning, we're in a series in Isaiah. And within the series, there's a series. It's been our Advent series. As we've been preaching through Isaiah, we slowed down in chapter 9. And each Sunday, we've taken one of the names of God. So starting December 1 of this month, we preached Wonderful Counselor. And then we preached Mighty God. Last week was Everlasting Father. Welcome to Trinity this morning. We are preaching. His name shall be called Prince of Peace. But that one, maybe that strikes you a little odd. Or maybe that gives you pause. Or maybe that creates questions in your mind. Prince of Peace in a world that is anything but peace. How crazy was the proclamation when Isaiah prophesied these words and proclaimed these words in his day? How, how insanely odd was it for the people of his day to hear the words, he's the Prince of Peace? Wait a minute. Isn't Assyria marching into their cities and towns and villages and utterly decimating them. How is Jesus to be the Prince of Peace? And maybe it's odd to hear those words, if we're honest, in our day as well. On Wednesday of this week, I took a glance just simply at the headlines, the news headlines. On my news feed, here are headlines that I ran into Wednesday morning. India has enacted a new citizenship law. It's enraged many. It caused riots and even deaths in the streets of India. The Telegraph headline read exclusive. Hamas plots attacks on Israel from Turkey is as Erdogan turns a blind eye. The Washington Post read, Voices from the War in Afghanistan. The Wall Street Journal headline reads, Rise in anti-Semitic incidents goes beyond recent violent attacks. Another article was titled, Are the chances of finding peace in Libya getting worse? Amazingly, there was no mention of Hong Kong. Surprisingly, there was no mention of North Korea on Wednesday morning. No mention of Bolivia, nor of Nicaragua. What's more, not only do we think about the world out there, on a world level, there's a lack of peace, but if we're honest, there's a lack of peace in our living rooms so often. We wonder, do, do I have peace? I'm not talking about war per se, I'm talking about political peace, marital peace, parental peace, 
relational peace, employment peace, mental peace. What are we to think of a promised child who's to come and his name shall be called Prince of Peace in a world that lacks peace? War and conflict and humanity are inseparable. We talk about unity more, and yet we have it less. We live in a day of peace treaties, and yet we know that those treaties will come to an end. We've seen the signs that declare, make love, not war, and yet every day lovers fight and go their separate ways. We talk about being kind while we blast the horn at the idiot who needs to learn how to drive. Lack of peace surrounds us. And yet we have this yearly reminder at Christmas time that we celebrate and we even sing about the Prince of Peace. Hark the herald, angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconcile. So how do we make sense out of our world How do we make sense out of our lives? How do we make sense out of Christmas and the Prince of Peace? Because peace is what everyone wants. And yet, if we're honest, we recognize we are a broken people. Living in a broken world. And so this morning, we're going to unpack. There are really two ways that people strive to attain peace in a non-peaceful world. It's a pretty simple sermon. The first point is, I'm broken and I'm able to fix this. And the second point is, I'm broken and I'm not able to fix this. All right, point one. I'm broken, and I'm able to fix this. Another way to put it is, my life's a mess, but what I need to do is I need to try harder. I need to make some adjustments. I need to make some self-improvements. I need to do a better job. I need to tweak some things. And in 2020, I'm going to be a better me. I'm broken, but I can fix this. Sure, my life thus far has a, is a train wreck of non-peace. But this year's going to be different. I'm going to put myself together this year. After all, I'm educated. I have a degree. I can do this. I have what it takes. I'm an achiever. I'm a doer. I'm a self-motivator. I'm a perfectionist. I have a good personality. I have the personality for it. I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I love people. I want to do good. I'm a loving soul. The list is long. I can fix this lack of peace in my life. In 1985, a professor at Berkeley wrote a book. It has been called one of the most influential books of recent times. It's titled Habits of the Heart, subtitled Individualism and Commitment in American Life. In the book, 
Sheila Larson is quoted to say this. I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. You know, we all have a bit of Sheilaism in us. It's that idea of I just need to look inward. I need to look to myself to fix what's broken. And if there's a lack of peace in my life, a little bit of Sheilaism, a little bit of Timism can fix this. I've got this. I can do it. I have all the answers to life right here within me. But the problem is true lasting peace evades Sheilaism and Timism. See, people everywhere are looking to self to fix that lingering lack of peace problem in their lives. Now, the problem becomes my Timism and Alex's Alexism and Will's Willism, that's a little trickier, are all different. Culture says, well, that's not a problem. Your answers are good for you, and my answers are good for me, and Will's answers are good for him. There are no absolute answers, we're told, because there are no absolutes. We just need to be tolerant of each other's answers, because what's true for you is true for you, and it must be true for Alex and Tim and Will. All answers must be equally right and equally true, our culture tells us. And that is what will bring peace on earth. But is that true? Is it true that everyone's answers within themselves, Sheilaism, Willism, Alexism, and Timism, is that true? Can my answer, my Timism, and Will's answer, his Willism, and Jane's answer, her Janeism, can all three of those be equally true? Can they answer the issue of a lack of peace? Well, let's just ask the Republicans and Democrats this week. Are all answers equally true? You see, tolerance says, yes, they must be. Everybody is right. How's that working out? We just need to accept everyone's version of truth. It's like saying that two plus two equals whatever your version of that answer is. Two plus two might equal four or it might equal five, it might equal nine or it might equal the color blue. Whatever is true for you is true. But is that true? Is tolerance, which says all roads lead to God, is that true? That all roads will eventually bring you peace. Because the truth is whatever you make of it. But is that true? 
Is it intellectually even possible for all the opinions of all of our isms to be equal in truth? If so, then two plus two does equal blue because that's what I want it to be. Hitler's truth was true to him, but was it true? Tolerism, if it's consistent, must say yes. He believed in peace, and the way to get peace was to eliminate weaker human beings. Now, what makes his truth suddenly not true and the next person's true? You see, we live in a culture that cries out that there are no absolutes. There is no objective truth. So we know that we're in a mess. All we have to do is look at the headlines. All we have to do is to look in our living rooms. We know that we're broken. And this one, point number one, the answer to the brokenness of humanity is we need to look inside of us. And we need to work out the conflict and we need to bring peace to our portion of the world that we live in. And we're not honest enough or honest with ourselves enough to say, after all these years of Timisms and Sheilaisms and Willisms and Alexisms, that peace still evades us. Or, we might actually experience a momentary, a moment of peace until the next person cuts us off in traffic. Or your spouse says something unkind. Or your boss corrects you. Or your teacher, you fill in the blanks. The list is long. Hopefully we begin to see that option number one, I'm broken and I'm able to fix this, hasn't fixed anything. And the world's lack of peace has actually only grown worse in our day. Well, there's another option for peace. This option also recognizes that life is a mess that humanity is broken, that I and you are broken, that Timisms actually have created less peace and more conflict. I'm broken and true peace evades me when I look to myself. So the second point this morning is I'm, a, I'm broken and I'm unable to fix this. Both views are saying I need peace but while point number one says, I can fix it, point number two says, I can't fix this. I'm a mess on my best day. I'm a mess. The lack of peace in my life can disappear in a millisecond. December 1st, Sunday, December 1st. It was my birthday. Kim and I got home from church on Sunday and it was like, ah, let's, let's just, let's order some food. Let's, let's order some Grubhub. That'll be nice. We're going to relax, get some Grubhub. Three hours later, we were still waiting for our food. Peace had left the living room. When it finally did arrive, um... It was cold. We called the restaurant and found out it had been sitting 
for an hour. Peace can leave in a millisecond. Have you ever gone to sleep in peace and woken up? And you wonder, like, what kind of demon slept, you know, slipped into the room last night? So instead of looking to Timisms, instead of looking to Sheilaisms, instead of looking to self, the glory of the gospel is that we get to look outside of ourselves to find lasting peace. And that's what Isaiah 9 is offering. Now, typically when we're preaching, we unpack. It's called expositional preaching. And we unpack the text. We've been doing that literally for a month. And so if you are interested, I encourage you, you can go back to previous messages from Isaiah 9. But the idea here, what Isaiah 9 is addressing, is this idea, I can't fix this. They've already gone through two kings attempting to fix this, Uzziah and Ahaz. I can't fix this, but Isaiah comes to say, for unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. And what Isaiah is doing there is he's offering something more grand or he's proclaiming, he's not offering anything. God is offering himself, but Isaiah is the, the, the herald of that news. He's proclaiming something more grand, more glorious. He offers, Christ offers you not just a little dose of peace, but lasting peace. He actually says what in verse seven of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. How can he say that in the world he's living? How can we hear that and receive that in the day in which we live? When our world lacks peace, minute by minute, moment by moment. So in what sort of way will this child, Jesus, bring peace? Well, there's a number of places we could go to in the New Testament to unpack that. You might think of it like this. If your Old Testament, the Old Testament of God's word, these are the promises of God. Your New Testament is, here's how God answers the promises. So we could go to the New Testament in a number of different places. Isaiah 9 is a, is a promise. The New Testament then shows us how the promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. A lot of places we could go, but we're gonna to go to Colossians chapter one. Paul, in Colossians chapter one, is speaking of Jesus. And I'm gonna dive in a bit in the middle of that chapter. So I would encourage you later to go and read the chapter in its context more fully. But in verse 19, he begins to say, Paul to the Colossians, he says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In, in Christ, Paul is talking about Christ here. Again, context tells us that. So for in Christ, 
in the coming of Christ, in the, in the child, Jesus, the Messiah, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Meaning, Christ came in flesh. He was fully God. He was fully man. Meaning, Merry Christmas. God will come. God, God will come as a baby. God in human flesh, baby, will grow up and will one day deal with our lack of peace problem. We'll deal with the brokenness of our lives. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile himself. Reconcile. That begins to give us an idea of things, doesn't it? Reconcile. If, he's, if, he's, if something is reconciled, there's something wrong with the relationship. If I said to you, if I simply just said to you, Kim and I reconciled, you would immediately begin to assume some things, as you should. And so when we're reading scripture, the same. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile him to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, listen, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so you've got some really big words in here. When I say big words, I mean really important words. Reconcile, making peace. These words matter. What is Christianity? Christianity is the belief that we're broken and we can't fix ourselves. Christianity is the understanding that we are sinners before God in need of reconciliation. That we are sinners before God is, is another way to say we're a broken people. Humanity is broken. Humanity has been separated from God because of sin. And we simply cannot fix ourselves. Timism Willism, Alexism, and yourism, none of that's worked out. We need to be reconciled to God, with God, because sin, next important word is in the next verse, sin has alienated us from God. Look at the next verse there. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now, again, reconciled us. So if you're alienated, right? If you, that's, that's the idea of you've been separated. But through Christ, he reconciles us with God in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy. 
Now here's what's crazy. Isaiah 9 is about 700 years before Jesus came. We're reading it a few thousand years after he's come. They're looking forward. We're looking backward. We're both looking to the same event. And in that event, God is taking the initiative to make us right with God, to reconcile us with God. God himself takes the initiative to deal with that separation, that alienation, that lack of peace. We're not whole, we're broken. And when Isaiah prophesies that he will be called the Prince of Peace, it's this idea that the Prince of Peace comes what? To restore the relationship. He, he takes what's broken and he makes it whole again. He makes things right in him. So we've got this, well, it says in the text, we are hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We've got this hostility problem. Now, folks all over the place will say, I'm not hostile towards God. I love God. I just like my Sheilaism. That's what Sheila said. I'm fine with God. Basically, if you read that quote again a little bit more closely, you're, you're hearing, I'm fine with God. I just don't want him to have any part of my life. I want to call the shots. There's a hostility problem. And we think that we can fix ourselves, pull ourselves up, make ourselves a better me in 2020. And that doing so will deal with the hostility problem that we have with God. That certainly is not Christianity. Now, actually, in Colossians and many other places in the New Testament where the prophecy is fulfilled, we see that Christ does the reconciling. And he tells us how. How will we be reconciled? How will we be made right again with God? Did you hear in verse 20? Let me read 20 and 21 again, 22. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So it's by the blood of the cross. It's through his death on the cross in order to present you holy. How will we be reconciled? Through the blood of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. You see, our greatest problem, church, 
isn't the lack of world peace that we see around us. Our biggest problem is not North Korea. Our biggest problem is not Iran. Our biggest problem are not the other drivers around us. Our biggest problem is with God. Iran is temporary. But a lack of peace with God is eternal. But the promise of Isaiah is that a baby will come and he will be the prince of peace. And then we see in Colossians that he will reconcile us to God, the Father, by his blood, through his death, on the cross. Or we could say it like this. We are broken and we are unable to fix ourselves. But we can look to Jesus and we can look to the cross and we can look to his forgiveness and he will restore us into a right relationship with God. Why? Because he's the Prince of Peace. No wonder the multitudes were praising God, singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Good news. You see, you might wonder though this morning, I don't know that I need to be reconciled with God. I'm good with God. It really is a a diminishing of an understanding of the holiness of God and a rising of what we would think is our morality. We really like to lift up our morality and we think, I'm not so bad. I mean, I've seen the news. I'm not like those people. I'm pretty good. I'm doing my best. We all make mistakes. But the reality, Scripture tells us, is that the wages of sin is death. The reality is, Scripture tells us, is that there is a separation between us and God that you could never morally reconcile. The reality, Scripture shows us, is that as far as our Sheilaism and Timisms and your isms, we're hopeless in our ability to fix what's broken. You see, the challenge, however, is that God is just. The justice of God. We we serve, if you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to understand we serve a just God. And there's an aspect of that that we, we like justice as long as it's dealing with other people. Right? We want justice. We don't like it when someone gets away with it. That That's... That's hardwired into us as an expression. We are image bearers of God. He is justice. He is just. Meaning, sin doesn't go unpunished like we think. Meaning, 
We can't be good enough morally to present ourselves to God and think that the separation is resolved and we're reconciled in God because look at all the good things we've done. I gave to the Bahama relief. Really? Is that what presents us to God to, for, for us to say, here's, here's what's going to bridge the gap of our hostility in mind and our evil deeds against you. I gave to the Brahma relief. By all means, as with what Josiah already said, don't give in an attempt to Sheilaism your way out of the brokenness of your own soul. God is just. Meaning he can't, in his being, in his character, in who he is, he can't just, yeah, not a big deal. Sin. Not a big deal. Sin can go unpunished. No, because of the holiness, the justice of God, sin must be dealt with. But God is also love. These aren't separate categories. We shouldn't think of God in separate categories. He's justice. Here's a moment of justice, and he's love, and here's a moment of... No, he's justice, he's love. It's a problem. Some call it the divine dilemma. God is just and so sin must not go unpunished, but God is also love. And so he provides the solution to our sin by bringing justice to himself on the cross. We like to sing of it. Hear the lyrics. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Thank you, Matt Redman. You nailed it. The justice of God and the love of God meet. They meet on the cross. Where the justice of God is satisfied, see, he, he, he is unable to allow sin to go unpunished. So he brings the punishment for our sins, the sins that we've committed, the punishment that we deserve, he brings to his son, Christ, on the cross. That's what Colossians is unpacking for us when he says it's been reconciled by his blood. Christ reconciles us. We don't look inside of us for salvation. We look to Christ for our salvation, where the justice of God is met at the cross, where the, the innocent one is judged for the sins of the guilty. That's justice. 
It's not simply pardon. Everybody goes free. No, it's Christ received your punishment, my punishment, and now you are pardoned. But it's not as if it wasn't dealt with. It was dealt with at the cross of Jesus Christ where his love is also met. The love of God at the cross. People don't understand what's the, why, why is Jesus hanging on the cross? It's not simply that he is love. It is that, but that's not all it is. It's justice for the, for the sins, for the punishment that you and I deserve. He hung on the cross because he is just and he is love. Because he is just, sin must be punished. Because he is love, Christ took the punishment that our sins deserved. And what all of that is doing, it's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. How is Christ the Prince of Peace in a world that lacks peace? He came to solve your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is not North Korea. Your greatest problem is with God. And you and I need to be reconciled with God. And when we are, peace with God. He died in my place. He died in your place. That's what Christianity is. It is point number two. We are broken and we are unable to fix ourselves. We are unable to bring peace into our lives. Christianity is not inward be more moral, do good things, be a better you in 2020. Christianity is not self-improvement. Look inside of you to get things fixed. Christianity is recognizing you are broken. You are helpless to fix yourself. Look to Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. And in so doing, he resolved the alienation. He resolved the lack of peace. He is Prince of Peace. This is how Christ, the Prince of Peace, how he is the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace to you and to my greatest problem in this world, and that is sin. He came to offer you and me lasting, eternal peace. Verse 7 in chapter 9, Isaiah. It's why we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's why we sing, Joy to the World. The Lord is come. It's why we sing, Oh Holy Night. In the middle of a non-peaceful day, in Isaiah's day, he was prophesied of that he would come and he would bring peace. And that was to make a difference in their day, even as the Assyrians marched into their villages. Perhaps the people of his day, perhaps they thought, Isaiah, you've lost your mind. Look around you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying the same thing. Tim, you have lost your mind. Look around you. Christ comes not to just throw in a little short lifetime of peace to you. He doesn't come to bring you some flimsy peace. Here today, gone tomorrow, wake up the next day, where did it go? He came to bring you ultimate eternal, everlasting peace. And I ask you, 
do you know this peace? You can have peace even in non-peaceful circumstances. You can have peace. Because Christ came to do more than offer you a little bit of peace for your 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Seems like a long time. Not a long time in light of eternity. Christmas says, the baby in the manger says, God has come to deal with your greatest problem and to do so eternally. God has come to deal with your sin where justice and love meet at the cross of Christ. So I appeal to you, place your trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. No more Timism, Sheilaism, or any of the other isms. Now, for unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Let's stand together.